Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with your weekly WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. And what a show we have for you today. I don't even know where to start. Honestly, we are going to be talking everything that happened this week on SmackDown last Friday and Raw on Monday night and Raw Monday night. Well, it was a three-hour wrestling show. Uh, It was as unique of a three-hour wrestling show as we've seen from WWE and coming out of last week's episode of this podcast where I absolutely ripped the Raw creative team and the process and the production and new one. Let's just say things did not get much better this week. But we're going to get to everything that happened on Monday night and Friday night coming up in a little bit. Before we do, you know how we always start this show. A couple reminders for you. Number one, do us a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and review. Let us know what you love so much about the show. I do read the reviews, by the way. So as long as you leave five stars, you can give any constructive criticism you want. In fact, We had a reviewer just recently give us a five-star review, but they said, hey, Adam, you know what? I want you to give Chris the mic a little bit more. Why don't you let him talk a little bit more than he does? And you know what I said? Yeah, you know what? That's a pretty good piece of constructive criticism. So that is going to happen on today's show and going forward. Chris will get the opportunity to speak more than I've normally let him. Look, I get passionate about wrestling. Sometimes I lose myself. Sometimes I go on rants for a couple minutes at a time and I just forget. But good constructive note. Thank you so much. As I said, Five stars, you say whatever you want. Five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet every single episode as soon as it goes live. I tweet live during Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. And then as soon as uh, NXT is over, I tweet live about my watching of AEW, pay per views, GIFs, pictures, videos. We do it all. We even talk wrestling news on there. Love having conversations with you guys on the Twitter account at Getting Overcast. Of course, you can follow me personally at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow my WWE co-host on this podcast, Chris Vanini, at Chris Vanini. Chris, this is going to be quite a show, and I don't really know. We do this cool thing. We don't really talk much about the shows while we're watching them. So when we do the podcast, your opinions are completely unique in terms of I don't know what they are going in. They're, They're refreshing for me. I certainly tweet on the podcast account, so you probably have a good idea about where my head is going into the show, but I don't get into great detail with you about uh, what I think about everything that has gone down. And I don't think that a singular thing has happened in WWE since we started this podcast that could have the potential for a greater uh, variety of opinions than Raw Underground on Monday night. Yeah, is is this getting overcast or is this getting underground? We may have to specify which segment we are in. Man, that was a weird episode last night <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways that we were going so to get weird. I, I think coming out of it, uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, we'll break down each segment here, but I, I guess just the feeling coming out was weird. It was weird going into the night when there were reports of, of Shane McMahon coming back. There were dirt sheet rumors going around. Chaos potentially w- w- was one thing out there. And the result was a pretty weird episode. So let's get into it. People are so upset and in so much pain from what happened on Monday night that some of the puppies that you're fostering are expressing that while we're recording today. Is that correct? Yes. They must have watched it with you. Yes. We have a litter of six-week-old puppies now. 
Uh, so apologies if you hear that in the background a couple times. But uh, yeah, they 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 saw last night's Raw and they want to express their take. They are. Now, I will say going into the show, and we were going to start it very soon. Um, look, so much happened on Raw, and I was taking notes up until like about midnight. In fact, really a couple minutes before the show began. There were the opportunity to add sound drops from Raw on Monday night. I don't have them. Okay, just it would have taken too long. I wasn't able to get them. I will go back. I'm do, I do this for you guys. I'm going to go back and like fast forward through the show and see wh- where the sound drops are and add them for future episodes. But from Shane McMahon and MVP, I mean, there were drops to add. Tom Phillips had, I think, a, a zinger and, and Samoa Joe says a couple cool things. So the soundboard will get improved uh, as we go forward here. But let me just say that um, there were, like I said, there were so many notes and so many things to talk about on their own that I just wanted to make sure that we got to the show today. In fact, you guys sent me a ton of DMs. Most of them were already topics we were going to cover. So I, I don't even have time for DMs today. That is how much we have to talk about on this episode of Getting Over. And we started, as we always do, folks, in the best way, with the main event. And Chris, I know that most people think we're going to start with Raw Underground, and, and mostly we will. But before we get to that, I want to do a short bullet point type of breakdown of what actually happened Monday night on Raw, because I feel like while my long rant last week hit home with so many of you, it's not something I want to do every week. And what I want everyone to understand before I start this is that as of a month ago, Raw was my favorite weekly wrestling television show. The action in NXT was better. Some of the storylines on Dynamite, AEW Dynamite, were stronger. But Raw had a really nice, consistent mix. It was entertaining. It built new stars. I'm also conditioned to like wrestling on Monday nights in that three-hour block. But they, they did all of that while also building new stars and giving us good matches. So what Paul Heyman was giving us from Raw was hitting home with me. Now, that doesn't mean it was the best thing for WWE as a whole. Company-wide, look, the ratings were going down. Now, I think there were some extenuating circumstances for that, and I don't really think Paul Heyman is to blame for that, but obviously Vince McMahon did fire his ass, at least from that role as executive director. But over the last month, Raw has just progressively gotten not just worse, but stranger, almost as if they're trying to undo the successes that Paul Heyman had while also redirecting their storylines and seeing ratings fall while they're doing that and now just trying to come up with shit just to like stop the bleeding. So what we're going to discuss right here, and this is some quick bullet points. We're going to talk about all of this later in the show in detail. But when I tell you guys that I'm angry at Raw and the WWE product that they're giving us, giving us on Monday night, you obviously heard what I had to say last week, how insulted I was by what they did. I just want to run down a couple bullet points of things that happened. And like I said, detail for all of this later. The opening match ended a feud, yet there's now a rematch at the second biggest pay-per-view of the year without any reason other than a challenge. Montez Ford is allowed to compete by WWE medical staff after clearly fainting and being unresponsive just minutes earlier. A match ends via disqualification or no contest, I'm not sure, when someone runs in and does not touch either person in the match, which means it's not a disqualification or a no contest. Someone from The Bachelor shows up on a closed set for a completely unknown reason. Nia Jax gets suspended while being suspended 
but hasn't even been on TV consistently. So the suspension, the first one, and the suspension, the second one, are both meaningless. It looks like WWE is about to pay off the entire show in the main event, and Samoa Joe is going to do the most interesting thing the entire night. Only they go to commercial before it happens, and then they come back from commercial and it doesn't happen. Dominic Mysterio, who's never had a match in WWE, is able to challenge a four-time heavyweight champion and have his first match at the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. And now consider all of those things I just mentioned and realize I did not even get to the new faction or Raw Underground yet. Chris, who is writing this shit? This is the whole thing. Like, if you just, are they even laying it out exactly like that and not understanding that any of this makes any sense whatsoever? We'll, we'll, we'll get into each one, obviously, but it just, it doesn't make any sense. This is, it, it, it's, I, I don't really know what to say other than it just doesn't make any sense at all. And you don't know where they're going. Like for, for there to be that many things wrong with the singular episode, any, any episode of wrestling, right? NXT, AEW, SmackDown, we point out things that we do and don't like, and it's easy. I can tell you that, you know, on AEW, there was a really good match, but that finish didn't make sense. Or this thing was slow. That wasn't. NXT, they're not announcing their shows, even though the shows are good. So they're doing themselves a disservice. These are little nitpicks. But what what I just mentioned, that list, those are not nitpicks. That's bad wrestling. That's bad television. It's bad storytelling and booking. It, it, it For there to be that many things in a singular episode, and yeah, you can, some of them you can negate. The Dominic stuff, you can throw it out because, hey, they've been building to this for a really long time. Okay, fine. You can throw out the Samoa Joe thing because he, he's a commentator and whatever, but you can't excuse like Montez Ford being allowed to compete, the finish to the Sasha Banks, uh, Shayna Baszler match, the fact that we're getting a rematch for a title match that none of us really wanted in the first place, and it's going to be at the second biggest show of the year. These things, it, it makes you feel like an idiot for watching wrestling. I feel, you know, I feel, I feel stupid Monday night. Yeah. For for giving three hours to WWE when all of those things happened on my television. Well, I, I think it's been talked about forever. I think three hours, especially right now, right now is a problem. But, you know, there, there was that there was the dirt sheet rumors going around leading into Monday that there was chaos from the top down. They were rewriting the show and they were going to record two shows. So they didn't know what was going on, even though it had been two weeks since they last did a show. So you wonder why it what took so doing? long. Right. Yeah, and, and and you, I think, tweeted you were wondering if that they were leaking that on purpose just to draw up interest. And I thought about that, too. And I think based on what we got, that it wasn't a purposeful leak, that it really is a complete mess back there. Oh, no, I disagree, actually. I think it was you, purposeful. You, you, well, well uh, okay, how, how about two separate things here? They leaked it on purpose just to draw interest, but it's actually fine, or they leaked it to draw interest... Because it's a mess. Is that what you're no, saying? No, I think they leaked fake information that Raw's a mess and things are going crazy backstage to sell the storyline of Raw Underground and the faction that they gave, they're starting to give us on Monday mm. night. I think the verbiage that was used by people who initially reported these things were the words chaos and craziness and, you know, people are, are running around with their heads cut off and things like that. And then you see, you know, Ryan Satin from Pro Wrestling Sheet and someone else talk about chaos backstage as news reporting. And then WWE, like 90 minutes before the show, comes out saying that chaos is going on backstage. And they show us Raw Underground and they show us the faction. So, no, I think it was all planted. 
I think 100% of that pre-show okay. fervor was WWE working the dirt sheet writers and saying, hey, there's going to be some craziness on the show. Let's make believe there's actual real craziness backstage. Okay, that makes sense. That, that that makes sense. I don't think it had the intended effect they wanted to because I think it, it turns out that, oh, there's chaos backstage may actually be real based on where these things are going. Well, yes, and I agree with that. I don't think that from a storytelling or public relations standpoint, however you sure, want to sure. right, say it, right, right. I don't think it actually worked worked for them because wrestling fans these days and people who watch WWE or are turned off to WWE are conditioned to think that when someone writes or tweets something like that, that that means it's going to be bad. We've had multiple times before where we've heard SmackDown got rewritten two hours before the show, but SmackDown ended up being awesome. So it's like, okay, they rewrote it, but guess what? The two hours of television they gave me was really good. There's been other times, yes, two weeks ago we talked about this, where Raw was rewritten right before and we're looking at it and we're like, so they had a couple long matches. None of the storylines sense, made sense. Everything was done out of order. Then we had all of our criticisms last week where you and I were talking about, hey, they wrote, this was taped two weeks ago, right? And they taped this ahead of time and they still got this much wrong. So yeah, WWE has its own issues. But in this particular circumstance, I think they were trying to get one over on everyone. And in some respects, it worked. Look, there was a lot of interest last night in Raw. I can tell you a lot of people watched Raw. And I bet by the time the ratings come out today, you know, later on, on Tuesday, those numbers are going to be up. A lot of people are going to end up having watched Raw that had not watched it previously. So they did pop a rating, I'm guessing. But the question is, and, and by the way, that's obviously notwithstanding there was sports on. So I don't know how now having two different sports on is actually going to affect the raw rating. But but okay, I think that they either saved themselves or popped the rating, one of the two. But the question is, did you, did, is what you did to pop that rating enough to get people to tune in now every single week? And I think the answer to that question, what we're going to talk about momentarily, is no. I, I don't think they accomplished anything to say, hey, not only are we trying something new, but it's good and you're going to want to tune in to watch it. Right, yeah. They, they got us interested coming in. They did not give us anything to be interested moving forward. And that's the only thing that's going to fix the, rating, fix the ratings long term. You can't, popping a rating here or there is not going to fix the, the, the larger problems they have. Exactly. Getting a 2.0 one week does not mean the next week is going to be a 1.9. If, if the 2.0 is bad, <laughs> then the next week's going to be a 1.6. And it's just as simple as, it, as that is. So, all right, let's, let's actually talk about what happened. And we'll start with, obviously, Raw Underground featuring Shane McMahon. Now... You remember last May when Mick Foley came out, May 2019, he announced the 24-7 title and he said the third hour of Raw was going to be, I forgot the terminology, but dirtier and grimier and grittier. And all the colors shifted from red to black and they turned off, I think, the Titantron or some of the other things that were going down. And it lasted about a week and a half. And then it just disappeared forever from WWE television. That's basically what this seems to be, but it's another take on that idea. Now, it's really easy to be negative off the bat here. And I have a feeling by the time we're done, we're both going to be very negative. But I actually want to start, call it benefit of the doubt, call it glass half full optimism, I don't know. I'm going to start by mentioning the very few positives that may exist from Raw Underground, at least to me. Number one, I like the name. Raw Underground sounds cool. Number two, the concept of a show within a show 
is interesting. For a three-hour show like Raw, it is really the only wrestling program of the four major programs where something like that could work. Having short fights that don't stop the show in its tracks, but attempt to enhance the atmosphere and importance of the third hour makes sense. There's an opportunity here to help develop some characters, make people a little bit more badass, and use it to fuel them into pushes or new characters even on the regular show. I think there's an opportunity for them to take the 24-7 title, bring it into this room, and convert it into an underground title or a hardcore title. And I think those are some positive points, Chris. And before we dive into maybe the negatives and the things that we don't like, was there anything that you saw in these raw underground segments that you took away and said, you know what? They might have something in some way here. I liked the music with the wrestling, the, the, the beat going on in the background. I actually had that stuck in my head for hours after rolling off the air. That was something we talked about back when there were no fans in the performance center was that give us something. It felt like an, you know, an NBA game is going on and there's some beat in the background. It kind of just makes the atmosphere a little bit better. Uh, I, I liked it, it. It kind of felt a little bit like Lucha Underground in, in, in that there was an attempt to do something a little different. Uh, I, I think there I do think there is a little bit of potential depending on where this goes. When it first started, I was thinking where let's just bring back, bring back the brawl for all here. What if, right. if we're going to be doing something like this, if we're going to say, Oh, that fighting that you're watching is not real. Here's the real fighting. But they generally kept it, like you said, short, quick. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't corny, the fighting itself. So uh, it, there were some positives coming out of that. I also liked that they didn't really present it as if it was, they, they presented it as if it was underground, not real versus fake, right? Like, it, it's shoot style, but it, it, they made it clear that it was still work shoot, where had they tried to make it seem like, hey, people are bleeding everywhere and they're getting cut up and, like, they're, they're actually laying it in really hard, that would have turned me off, I think, even more than what this was. Yeah, and... and... I, I'm on the fence about calling it Raw Underground and the idea that it's a sanctioned show within a show as opposed to maybe we're in some secret location that we're taking us. Kind of, you know, I kind of thought about AEW um, with, uh, 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 what, what was the guy's name? Uh, the, the, the Mohawk, he was fighting the, the Carney. Lance Archer. In the backyard. Yeah, Lance Archer. That's what, that's what also came to mind at the beginning of that. And I was like, oh, this could be kind of something. So I got those vibes too. Uh, in I, I, which I didn't think was a bad thing. Yeah, and, and I think if I think there are ways that this can be long term massaged and adjusted, where there could potentially be something here, and maybe it's not breaking into the show three times in the set in the third hour for two and a half minutes each time. Maybe it's a twenty minute segment on each show, where you go there for. You know, you go there for a segment, a commercial break and a segment, and then you're done. That's another way that they could potentially do it. But I do think that putting that 24-7 title in there and making it a hardcore slash underground type of title and obviously giving it a new look, it could save the title. It could give 
something to fight for there. And then when you take that underground title, it's a source of pride. But those are the positives. Those are the things that, you know, looking glass half full at Raw Underground, I think we can take away. Now I'm going to trash the shit out of it. Uh, first, the atmosphere was a joke. Uh, the stupid, uh, you like the music that was fine. I don't, I like the idea of music being behind wrestling, but it was the same music the entire time. It did not change and it was repetitive. So that turned me off. The fact that it was just unchanging. It was one track over and over again for all these segments. It was, imagine like being in that atmosphere. Like be, imagine being in a club where it was only the same background track <laughs> for hours. You'd go crazy, right? So I didn't like that. The dancers turned me off, not because of some like, you know, uh, woke culture or anything. I don't mind dancers being on television. AEW has the women in the bikinis, the bash and the beach shows and stuff like that. No problem. Women are beautiful. It's fine with them being there. But if you want this to be, have a fight club type of feel and have it be gritty and grimy, then why are you having entertainment like that? It wasn't the, the strippers in some respects or the dancers almost weren't dirty enough to deliver on the field that they wanted this to have. If you want this to be like a fight club, like I was saying, don't cartoon it up. And it's like what they did with the bar fight where you can say what you want about the atmosphere, but there's a Papa shop basketball game right in the middle of these two guys fighting. You know, I thought it would be more like a pub brawl as, a, as opposed to a bar fight, but okay, back to raw underground. Supposedly there's no rules, but finishes basically just happen whenever Shane McMahon is done and wants them to be finished based on reasons. Sure, submission is submission, we saw that. But other times the guy just got kicked in the head and just like, okay, now it's over. Or someone's getting pummeled on the ground and Shane's just like, all right, this, this is it. And then there's Shane McMahon himself, who is in this very strange and one mixtape announcer slash Dana White fight promoter role, almost Paul Heyman-esque in some small ways, and is yelling and making noise over everything that's happening. So you have the music, then you have Shane McMahon yelling, oh my God, oh wow, cool, oh yeah, kick his ass, whatever the case. So it's and one basically slash wrestling slash shoot fighting. I, I couldn't stand it. And perhaps worst of all, the camera cuts, Chris. My God, it was worse than the wrestling in the regular ring. First of all, production-wise, it was terrible on its face. But the concept of a fight club should be gritty and dirty, and it's called Raw Underground. You know what you don't have underground with underground fights? You don't have eight cameras, lighting, and production work. You have one to two <laughs> cameras, you shoot a gorilla style, and this was all polished and overproduced and shit. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to do Raw Underground and have it be underground? And it doesn't mean you have to go like super, super crazy, gritty, and grimy, and dirty, but either give it that look or you don't. This was a WWE version of an underground shoot fight, which should have just been maybe an NXT version of an underground shoot fight, which at least would have rang somewhat true. So despite the small positives that I think you and I were able to give here, man, the negatives just outweighed them so, so heavily. So I'm kind of with you on the camera angles. I actually didn't hate what they did, except for when they went hard cam that was far away and it made it obvious that this was just a WWE ring without the posts and rings. When they were lower on the ground, 
um, looking up a little bit. I thought it worked. What what I actually think would have been better, like you said, was maybe you have just one continuous camera. So it's just one continuous scene right. the whole time. There's no right. cut. So it, it feels it feels a, a more kind of underground, like you said. It, it it did feel I to me it felt dirtier and grittier uh, than you think because you know it, it was foggy it was rusty looking there was it looked like there was mist in the air or whatever uh, it, it did look pretty gritty to me the problem is I it was incredibly uncomfortable seeing that because all I can think about right now in the middle of this pandemic is that all of these people are not doing what they should be doing in terms of. The health, which I guess is the point, but also when you know this is all a work, it's really weird and it kind of takes you out of it. How do you go from raw with the plexiglass and everybody having masks on to underground? Not everybody has a mask on. They're right up there up close and it's yep. a very it's it's a much smaller area as well. I just I I couldn't I couldn't get out of that mentally because you can't ignore what's going on here and we know this is all a work and so that part did uh, did bother me. I didn't hate Shane in that role. I kind of like the idea of Shane just kind of doing weird underground stuff on his own. He's not the corporate guy like Vince and Stephanie is. He's off doing his own thing. I, 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 he's always kind of been like that. I thought I thought that I thought that worked fine. But in terms of what I didn't like, uh, yeah, it, it was just a, the whole concept was a bit uncomfortable as a viewer. I think that's a really fair and good point that I didn't even really consider. It's that everything else is socially distanced and masks and all that. And this is really the opposite. Now, I don't think from a practical standpoint, it was really that different than let's just say what AEW does, where they're all standing next to each other beyond the, the you know, the, um, the ringside area, you know, the, the they barricade, are, barricades, they, they, barricades they are, is the term I was getting at. They get, but they got the barricades and Daly's place is bigger and has the... Oh, no, 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 it's different. It's like different. That. I'm just saying they're all standing next to each other. Some are wearing yeah. masks, some aren't. So yeah. in, in that respect, it wasn't very different. But but these people were on the ring. I mean, they were many times banging on the ring and really up close. And you're right, because a lot of them were running in to compete, they weren't wearing masks. So you're not going to have someone then run in to quickly take off a mask to go get pummeled by Lashley, right? So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you're being a little too easy on them in terms of the atmosphere. Uh, it, it didn't really say grimy or gritty to me. It just was, hey, we're wearing black. Um, from a camera standpoint, it wasn't just so much the number of cameras. It was the number of cuts. It was the fact that they treated yeah. it like it was a wrestling match when they should have been treated like an underground street fight, which is not hard to do in terms of fewer cameras, less cuts. You're there. Like, like just doing those two things, you're there. My my biggest gripe and my biggest concern, I should say, not gripe, is maybe in a normal situation, WWE would hear a lot of this criticism, not from our show, but just in general, from the wrestling universe. And then next week on Raw, make some tweaks to this product where it would improve, where you could say, oh, wow, they listened to some things and they changed a couple things up. The problem with WWE right now is they're taping everything two weeks out. So whatever we get next week for Raw Underground is going to be exactly the same as what we got this week. There's going to be no opportunity week to week for them to adjust it the way that fans and critics may suggest that they do adjust it. Look, WWE, people think they operate in this bubble. They don't. They listen to what people say and they do not all the time, but they do many times make adjustments to certain things or explain things out when they didn't explain them previously, etc. This is a case where they're stuck now. We have another, you know, 
not an hour worth, but another three segments worth of this that I'm sure is going to be on the show next week that is going to look exactly and feel exactly the same where, again, in a normal circumstance, maybe they do take a lot of notes and say, you know what? In concept, people don't hate this, but in execution, they didn't like it. Let's execute it properly. And they're not going to get that opportunity now. How did you feel about uh, main roster wrestlers being involved in it? That's a good question. It's actually the thing I was going to talk about next. What actually happened in Raw Underground. So right, right. you had Babatunde, who debuted as Daba Kato. Good name. Fine. Looked like a beast. Fine with it. Um, just murders two guys in seconds. No one. N- no name people, right? Then you have Eric from the Viking Raiders, who actually, out of everything that happened in Raw Underground, I think no one was helped more than him. He looked like a badass. He, The way he looked with all the tattoos and the tape, the black tape and the and the gloves on his hands. Mm-hmm. He, looked, he looked totally badass. And I think there's actually a situation here where WWE can use this, get Eric uh, Ivar doing the same stuff. And suddenly the Viking Raiders can be completely reborn and, well, and, and be a badass tag team again. They got to pick, again, we say this every week, they got to pick what they want the Viking Raiders to be because it changes right. every other week. And it, maybe this is, maybe they're serious again this time, or maybe they're doing... Uh, you know, board games next time. It's just, it changes every time it's a problem. But but I'm just saying like, based on Eric alone, that was awesome. Like if it was just the Eric segment, let's just say you were able to pull that out. You're like, whoa, that guy looked like a badass. Everything else besides him, eh. So whatever. So Dabo Kato, we mentioned Eric. Dolph Ziggler, Matt wrestled another job or choked him out. Fine. I mean, Ziggler's legit, you know, uh, uh, he amateur wrestled Kent State. I believe he was a champion and a, and a big time wrestler. So awesome. And then the Hurt Business enters and they come in and they just say, without even knowing what it is or seeing it, they're taking it over. And then they lay out everything and everybody. But then at the end of the show, end of the segment, Shane McMahon comes back and says, they're welcome anytime. But I thought they just took it over. So why is yeah. Shane still in charge of it? So even that booking didn't make sense. So look, if you're going to do this, number one, you have to do it with the real superstars, obviously. You can't just have Daba Kato being the only one in there. You need real people. But I also don't want to see three segments a show of WWE big-time superstars beating the shit out of no-name, either performance center talent, independent wrestlers, jobbers, whatever the hell they are, and nothing else happening. I mean, are we going to get a Daba Kato Eric match? Okay, if we get that, we may have something. Like that could be pretty badass, but also maybe it won't be. Because <laughs> how how long do you want to watch guys grapple and and shoot fake shoot, work shoot, fight each other in a setting like that? I mean, look, things like this Chikara has existed before, Bloodsport has existed, Matt Riddle mentioned that. So there is an interest in this type of wrestling, but it's also not at all mainstream. So I don't yeah. really know what the long-term goal is from Raw Underground. That, that, that's my biggest question coming out of it is, is, do they have a long-term plan? Or was this, Shane comes in, we do it for two weeks, and then who knows? But I, I thought, oh, her business is going to come in, beat up Shane and say they're under new management, whatever. Shane goes home, do what you do. But apparently it's not. That was a, a weird ending. I thought Dolph Ziggler looked great in this. He got to do the mat wrestling that yeah. he came up on. 
And coming off of two weeks of uh, or a handful of weeks of McIntyre making him look like a chump, getting him in a new setting, highlighting something that he's very strong at, I think was a great way to bring him back up. And I, I found him and Eric to be extremely interesting out of what they did there. The question is just going to be, what are the long-term plans here? Cause th- there's no reason to have really much faith in any long-term planning for any WWE storyline right now. Ziggler also put it over pretty strong on raw talk afterward. He basically said he really liked it. And a lot of the people in the company who tweeted and even other wrestlers outside the company liked it. Like they liked the, co- not necessarily the execution, which is really what I have a problem with more than anything. The, the concept 50-50, the execution I, 0.0. In fact, I don't even know. 0.0, Mr. Blutarski. So, you know, there's different well, ways. I, I don't think Ziggler was giving it a 0.0 though. <laughs> Maybe not. But um, yeah, I probably should use the, the regular one the, for the Animal House version. <laughs> but um, so I think there are, look, again, I'm not trying to be glass half full completely here, but I think there there is a long-term possibility that it kind of works, but not in the way they executed on on Monday night. So my takeaways about this, and I said this on Twitter, but it's really like they tried to take like Def Jam Vendetta or Def Jam Fight from New York, those old video games on like PS2 or whatever, maybe N64 as well. Um, And it's like they tried to turn those into a television show, which is not totally a bad idea in theory as someone who grew up with stuff like that. But the execution was just kind of, Horrendous in many ways. I don't mind WWE trying to get creative. Did this reek of desperation? Yes, it did to me. Was it another swing and a miss? As of right now and probably next week as well? Yes, it was. The problem is that they WWE thinks they are doing things that are new and fresh when really it's just a different version of the same shit. The same booking, the same camera work, the same... Lack of understanding what your fans actually want from your product. And what do fans want from WWE? We, and I'll say we here, because I think I'm speaking for everyone. We want the WWE product to be better. We want to be respected as fans and not treated like idiots who can be fed shit, lied to, and manipulated, not in a good way. Some manipulation is good, by booking. We want better, longer term, more consistent storytelling. Modern storylines that respect our intelligence. Higher quality matches with finishes that make sense. A reduced number of rematches and only doing them when storyline-wise it actually delivers. The development of new stars, not just new people on television, but people who can become the focal point of the product and get major opportunities. WWE keeps thinking it needs to change how it delivers its product. What it needs to do is change the variety of the product, the quality of the product. We don't want new packaging. We want higher quality ingredients. That is what the fans want out of WWE, at least in my opinion. I got to say, I know last week or something, you um, were generally not a fan of what Taz had said after AEW and the idea of WWE insulting uh, one's intelligence. But I got to say, the last two weeks have, uh, have, have kind of, Points have gone to Taz there, I think, for for some of the things he said and some of the things we've seen in in the last couple of weeks. Overall, I I think I I liked the idea of something that was going on throughout the show and we'd check back in on it. 
it made me think, oh, there's, we're going to get back to this. We're going to get back to this. It's so rare that they tell a story throughout an episode. They've been better during the pandemic, but just in general, that there's, oh, we're going back to something. We're going to get an update on something. We're going to go, going to go back. So I liked, it felt like a periodic palate cleanser throughout the show. I, I think, like you said, camera cuts just too much of it felt like WWE, but I did like the idea of, Oh, it's a quick two minute match here. There we're going to just have, we're going to check in with Shane throughout the night, going back, kind of like going back to the you know WWF New York back in the day when they check in on what was going on there. Uh, I, I don't want to get to the point where we have two segment matches on raw underground. Like I said, I don't know where it's going to go. I think there are like, we both think there are positive ways they can go with it, but I don't have faith to, for them to take it that way. And we're just going to have to see where it goes and hope everybody there wears a mask next time. Yeah. I, I have no confidence. Like, yes, I do think, I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it was a swing and a miss. I think it was a foul ball. I think they're still in the batter's <sighs> box and they can, and they can make something out of it. I think in a, in an inning, they have two of three outs right now. And, and unfortunately next week is going to be exactly the same as we said, because it's been pre-taped. So there's no chance for them to save it next week. The question is, can they save it two weeks from now? Or will it even still be around to save two weeks from now? Next week, if people know what's coming in the in the 10 p.m. hour of Raw and they tune out in mass, then WWE's effed. They're forked, okay, for lack of a better term. Um, I, I, I do want to take you to task for one thing. I don't mind being taken to task if I'm wrong about something, but I want to clarify. What Taz said when he said that WWE insults your intelligence, he was saying specific to not mentioning other companies on air. Not yeah. mentioning AEW and New Japan and all that. I will never tell you that WWE does not insult my intelligence. They insult my intelligence and your intelligence and fans' intelligence all the time, but not from not mentioning other companies. And that is what I argued about with Taz about. That's fair. I just want to make that clear. Okay, uh, moving on. More main event. Plenty of main event here. Uh, there was a new faction that seems to have made its first appearance, let's say. WWE talked about it arriving. They did not talk about it debuting. A lot of people thought we would get full resolution. Look, you can't beg WWE to give you longer term storylines and then be mad that they didn't just reveal a faction and every single member in one night. Okay. But that aside, what the hell is this freaking faction? Okay. So the show starts off in hour one with a number of technical difficulties. Microphones aren't working. Lights are flashing. At one point, the screen went out for a brief second. And then all of a sudden, in hour two, everything just stops and everything's completely fine. And they don't pay it off over the remaining two hours of the show. Maybe at the very beginning of hour two they did, but I don't even remember that. All of a sudden, no technical difficulties. Then, at the you're wondering, because WWE's promoting this new faction. And by the way, for everyone listening, a team is two, a group is three, a faction is four or more. Uh, WWE's promoting this new faction and we're, th we're left to believe, what is this? Is Raw Underground meant to be like a fight club and Project Mayhem, like all rolled into one and that's a faction and a segment of the show? We don't know. What we end up finding out is there's a hidden camera or a security camera outside and we see a couple dudes, presumably dudes, seem to all be, you know, Caucasian guys in wearing black hoods, just like the ninjas, because I was ninjas. So tough to- I, I, thought, I, 
I thought those were the ninjas at first. Yeah, so very tough to distinguish them from the corny storyline that's going over in the 24-7 picture. But we see these guys committing petty arson on a technical box, throwing Molotov cocktails on a technical box with people jumping up and down and screaming in excitement, something that immature teenagers would do who are you know, 13, 14, 15 years old and trying to cause a little bit of havoc not, may, not maybe with Molotov cocktails, but, you know, defacing something and jumping up and down all giddy because they got one over. I mean, what the hell is this? Is this supposed to be like a riot or a protest faction? And if so, are they really doing that in 2020 with what's going on? I don't really care so much that there's protests going on if WWE wants to do a protest faction. That's fine. But... The riots mostly were contained to a very short period of time in the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd uh, murder. And they've mo- the, the riot portion of these things have mostly been contained. There's a lot of people say that they weren't from the people who certain people were blaming them on, let's say. And the issue now is not so much the riots, but the response from police and government officials across the country, how they're treating protesters. So... WWE made it a point to leak this to Ryan Satin. They leaked to Ryan Satin a pro wrestling sheet that there's going to be a new faction and it is, quote unquote, not intended to be political. But if you need to go so far as to leak that ahead of the faction debuting, then you should probably realize the way you're writing it or booking it makes it look as if it is political. There are so many other ways to create chaos and mayhem and disorder on wrestling shows. You saw it with DX and the NWO for a decade, you know, give or take. There are so many other ways to do that without Molotov cocktails and burning things down and people dressed in black outside using security camera footage. What the hell is this, Chris? Yeah, I, I was I, I was going to ask. I wasn't sure if they announced the faction was coming or if they had leaked the faction was coming. Both. I didn't read the whole report from Wrestling Chiefs, so the fact that they said it's not meant to be political, like, what are you thinking? Like, uh, I, I, I mean, you, you laid it all out there pretty well. I don't have a ton to add to something like that, but you know, if if uh, I don't know, I haven't read Dirt Sheets. I don't know who it is. They were acting like the Undisputed Era. If you are to debut a faction, this is about the absolute worst way to do that. Yeah. Think about how the Undisputed Era debuted in NXT when they all just beat up the champion. I think they beat up, was Aleister Black? I don't remember who it was. Johnny Gargano, I don't remember. They, they beat up a bunch of people and they like look strong. That's You don't look like children coming into this. Who, who is going to be af- afraid of you? And committing arson, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it later. It's very strange when these real serious in the real world things happen but in the context of a wrestling show it's treated like nothing like we didn't go back like we don't we we'll we'll get to montez ford later but just very uh, absolutely strange all around and not how you should debut a faction and it has me worried for what happens next week more so than raw underground i was concerned and upset about this faction thing it's one thing it's one thing if you want to do a protest faction, a group that wants to change WWE from the inside out. 
has a and you want to play into real life how people are dissatisfied which is with, which is with, a terrible idea by WWE but if they're going down this road yes right right if, if, if people up, upset with their pushes and feel like you know people don't get enough opportunities to be themselves and and you want to go down that road I'm okay with that right I think you could I don't trust WWE to make it succeed necessarily but someone could make that succeed from a writing perspective but this is the absolute wrong way to do it I mean, it's just so unnecessary. And again, it's one. it would have been one thing if we saw them like in a circle brooding together. Hey, what you know, making plans or something. You don't really know what they're going to do earlier in the show. And then later in the show, you see them like run by this electrical box, throw shit at it, and then like, you know, high five each other maybe quickly and then run away or something like, or, or, you know, move away or something like that. But they're jumping up and down with their hands in the air like Rocky I mean, it, it was childish. It was as immature <laughs> yep. as you could yep. possibly get and such a bad way to debut a group or a faction. Now, look, if this is something that ends up lasting for a few weeks and it culminates at SummerSlam, you know, or, or the Monday after SummerSlam, then this singular incident can be forgotten about. This is something you can easily brush under the rug, never show it in video packages again, and just keep moving forward. But the totality of what this faction did Monday night on Raw. And I initially thought they were screwing with the lights and the microphones and all that. I guess it was the arson from earlier that caused the technical problems. So the entirety of what this group did was they lit fire to an electrical box. They knocked over a case backstage that had some equipment in it and literally just knocked it out. Nothing else. Like didn't spray paint it, didn't do anything, just knocked it down. And then maybe poisoned Montez Ford. So now they're poisoning WWE superstars, as if that's a good idea. And we'll talk about Ford in a minute. What the hell is this, man? Like, like, what am I watching on Monday nights right now? What, well, what, I, what, what product do they think they're giving us on Monday nights? I think I'm, I think I'm more upset about it because of the expectations of there's going to be a faction, which goes back to if you're going to leak to us that something's happening we'll and you're it. not going to pay it off. Like, yeah. I'm just going to be even more upset about it. Like, if this had just come out of nowhere and we didn't know what it was, I would have been like, huh, I wonder who this is. But now that I go into it thinking, oh, a faction is debuting and this is their debut, I'm just all upset about it. That's also true. If they did not say anything and then after Raw or today, they released a story and said, we received a letter from the group of arsonists who did this. And this is this mm -hmm. is their list of demands or this is what they say. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I kind of wonder where they're going with this. But you're right. They leaked that there was going to be a new faction. They leaked that it was not political in nature. Then WWE on their own website said a new faction arrives Monday on Raw, which means they knew about it ahead of time. So then they start the show and they make it seem like they don't know what happened when of course they already know what happened because they told us on the internet. So like you, what the you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't give a pro wrestling term to a group of people who you don't know who they are. Exactly. You're, calling, you're, you're just telling us they're wrestlers, I guess, because they're a faction and not just a group of attackers or something like that. And it's like you're you're giving it away. And I don't like I, I'm a big anti spoiler guy. We've done some spoilers on here. I can't avoid it, but I try to generally avoid these things. There's a big spoiler on The Bachelorette that, that I finally was told yesterday I was extremely upset that they did it and thought it would have been so much better for the show. It didn't, didn't involve Demi, who was on Raw last night, but I was upset that they did it. If you're going, you know, they, they announced ahead of time Shane McMahon's going to happen. Okay, 
you know, and they give us something. Don't leak a spoiler and then not give it to us. Like, at least it's just the way you're trying to pop a rating is just going to upset a lot of people and it's not going to help you in the long term. There, there's a lack of there's a clear lack of understanding in WWE what they need to do to actually improve their ratings. And I am not saying on Raw that Paul Heyman had all the answers and clearly the ratings were going down. But we are also in the middle of a global pandemic right now. And a lot of things were happening in the news and happen in the news on Monday nights that steers people away from cable television and towards cable news and things like that. So even if they wanted to get rid of Heyman, they still could have taken many of the lessons and many of the things that he had done and continued them. Instead, it's pretty clear they wanted to get to extreme rules, pay off or change a couple of storylines that he was doing, and now head in a completely different direction. And look, maybe it's the urging of USA Network and NBC Universal. They were the ones apparently who came up with that initial idea that I mentioned at the beginning of the segment about with Mick Foley, you know, saying, hey, let's do something different with our three. Again, never happened. Um, and introducing the 24-7 title and all those things. But they, there's just a there's a general lack of creativity and understanding the audience from WWE's perspective. And I'm not saying that even necessarily that Chris and I are the audience. But even if we're not, even if they're catering to someone else, we still know what's good and what's not good. And the WWE fan, the long-term viewers of the show, who, by the way, are the only ones still watching right now, they're not really making new fans. So the long-term viewers are the ones that you at least need to keep happy while you go simultaneously on a three-hour show and get new viewers. They're not happy. And I'm very pessimistic now, more than I have been in a long time, at what is happening in WWE, on Raw specifically, because, again, a new rapper doesn't change the ingredients, and the ingredients are what need to get changed right now. On that note... There, there, yeah. there are... One thing, there are two... The two most important things... WWE's for success are a can't miss thing, whether that's a person or a segment, something that every week, oh, I got to make sure I watch that when it happens. They they do not have any can't miss things, even though they've been really they've been quite good at times during the pandemic. There was nothing that was must see. It was always average to good to pretty good stuff, but it was it was not. Or, or bad. There was nothing that was must see. There's not. There's nothing must see that's bringing in new people, and they also have absolutely zero trust from the people who do watch every week that they are going to do something correctly. And it happens when you do a spoiler and don't pay it off and stuff like that. There, there's no trust, and there's nothing that's that's must see. That's the only thing that's going to happen to fix the ratings in the long term. That's that's a really great point. They are not must see TV right now, and wrestling at its height and when it was popular even as it in the you know early 2000s started losing some of its audience, it was still must-see TV. And you are a thousand percent right about that. The closest thing they have to it is The Fiend. And The Fiend has been so watered down by their own booking that he is no longer must-see anymore. It's just, oh, great, The Fiend's on my TV. I'm, I'm sure this will be good. Or it'll be pretty decent at, at the worst. But you're right. Um, you know, obviously Reigns isn't there, but Rollins, McIntyre, as much as we like him, Orton, Edge, Strowman. You know, we don't have Becky right now. The role models, the golden role models are pretty good. Charlotte Flair, none of them are must-see TV. And you are a thousand percent correct. That is WWE's biggest issue. But that, you know, we talked about Raw. On the other hand of Raw, and this is really strange, dude, but SmackDown continues to improve, at least in my opinion. It has become 
the superior show over the last few weeks. This is a show, by the way, that not too long ago, you and I were saying Raw is for us. SmackDown, we can take it or leave it. We watch it because we do the show and, you know, it's two hours, so it's a pretty quick watch. Suddenly, the last couple of weeks for me, SmackDown has been pretty damn good, almost Raw levels of good for, you know, the prior few months. The new intro that they're doing, um, that they've used the past few weeks, with those on the show setting up their matches and segments, it's what I've been demanding for months from WWE. I think it's a great way to bring someone into a show and someone who happens to be watching already through the first couple of minutes say, hey, you know what? There's That interests me. I'm going to keep watching. Love that. I especially like this intro in particular because it ended with a short and sweet Firefly Funhouse, which was so better, so much better than the crappy one that we got last week. And the, the Firefly Funhouse and The Fiend is really what I want to talk about. But in order to do that, we need to talk about the SmackDown Women's Championship match where Bayley defeated Nikki Cross. And this match was exactly like their pay-per-view match in that it was perfectly good, but nothing special. I never thought for a second we'd get a result other than Bayley winning. And I like the decisive finish with Bayley hitting that face plant finisher that still doesn't have a name in WWE. I believe she used to call it the Rose Plant. Um, and do, hitting that finisher after all the pinning combinations and counters. So Nikki Cross looked like a deserving challenger. Bailey came out of it looking like a really strong champion. But the way this match ended, the way the segment ended, I should say, and the way the show ended was as interesting as anything that WWE's done in a long time. So Nikki Cross, really frustrated, pushes Alexa Bliss down after the match, and out of nowhere, The Fiend shows up and takes advantage of a downtrodden Bliss. He stalks her a little bit. He seems to maybe hypnotize her a little bit while slowly approaching with the mandible claw that she shaking her head no, but accepts. So obviously this is the second involvement that we've seen of Bliss. She was a version, a vision, I should say, of Sister Abigail during the swamp fight. And I think now there's myriad ways that this can be booked. My guess is that Bliss winds up in the Firefly Funhouse, maybe under the Fiend's spell a little bit. He lures Braun Strowman there for another title match. Maybe Strowman saves Bliss, but loses the title in the process. I don't exactly know, but... For, they, on SmackDown Friday night, they said to you as a viewer, they said to me as a viewer in that final segment, hey, we appreciate you watching. Now go home happy. And I went home happy on Friday night. SmackDown is just, they're, they're really getting a lot of little things right. It's just, it, it's a competent show. Everything they do generally makes sense. You know, the karaoke a few weeks ago was a problem, and it's kind of weird they keep bringing it back up. But the last couple of weeks of SmackDown, they're just they're hitting the basic storytelling fundamentals, and I'm good with that. You know, where is Braun Strowman? We haven't seen him for a few weeks. He got pulled into a swamp, and we don't know where he is, and I feel like people should be concerned about his well-being. But, you know, I'm willing to suspend my belief on that because the rest of the story is still interesting to me. So I, 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 another thing we talked about this last week, maybe about we, I think it was when we were talking about musty stuff in the, how, when the fiend would show up, they'd slowly bring down the lights and the sound and all that. And it was like a good build up to his arrival. And it was, it was haunting. And they did that here. Yeah. It, it wasn't, I was only, shocked. it was, it, it wasn't, he pops up out of nowhere. It was, we get the boom thing coming down and it kind of, whoa, kind of builds up that excitement and it made him feel important when he showed up and great execution all around. And yeah, last couple of weeks, SmackDown is just telling good stories. I mean, look, the end of SmackDown 
was legitimately feel spot activated. And that's not the spoiler siren, that's just the feel spot siren. I, I was excited the final three minutes of SmackDown, SmackDown, I'm like, what the hell are they doing here? And they just paid it off to such a degree that I want to watch SmackDown next week. I want to know what's going to happen in this storyline. And the fact that they're taking Team Little Big from the um, Mixed Match Challenge and making that canon in WWE and, and Strowman's feelings for Alexa Bliss, it's just such smart, good, high-quality booking. And yeah, what were we just talking about? I, I think you just said it, though. It was on last week's show, I believe, that they totally ruined The Fiend, not just in having him lose to, to Goldberg unnecessarily and some of the other things they did, but they made him weaker and, and less interesting when he did show up because of the lights, because of the sound. And they just did it, like, out of nowhere after months of not giving us The Fiend arrival treatment that they had given us that made him so cool. They suddenly gave it to us in that final segment, which makes me wonder, did they not know that they weren't doing that before? Did they purposely tone it down? Like, it's not, when you have, when you do something like that and you're in production, generally you have like a keystroke that has all of these things happen in succession, right? You play music and then you hit the keystroke and all those things happen. So they had to almost purposefully not hit that keystroke or not hit that button and do something different to just shut the lights off and not have them turn off section by section and not play the music and not do the flashing lights. So I don't know why they ever toned it down with The Fiend, but the fact that they brought it back, man, and that was just the end of the show. The entire show I liked, and we'll talk about it momentarily, but I just loved it. I I thought that they actually are paying off The Fiend and they're paying off The Fiend Braun Strowman and they're paying off Braun Strowman Alexa Bliss. Yeah, I I wondered if, because we haven't had fans for months that that's why they stopped doing it because you don't have fans in the arena. I don't know if they have the ability to do that with the lights and the sound. I don't know. I'm just glad they brought it back. Just keep doing it. Now, before we get out of the main event, a couple of quick news items that I want to discuss. And then we'll talk about everything that happened in on Raw and SmackDown over the last week. Number one, there is a report out there that WWE may be holding pay-per-views in consecutive weeks. So SummerSlam is set for August 23rd. There's a report that WWE is going to hold payback as a network special one week later on August 30th. I don't even know why you would do this. I mean, right now we are entering SummerSlam. There are some unique matches on there, but we're entering SummerSlam with that rematch for the United States Championship, the Raw title match where the champions already beat the challengers in a non-title match the week before. The continuation of the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio feud where obviously now it's Dominic in the match, but this feud's been going on for months. Yes, we have Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. That's a fresh match. It seems like I think we're getting potentially uh, Sasha Banks versus Asuka, which we just saw, which in itself is a payback match. I, I don't really know what any value or purpose would be gained from having payback. In fact, the only thing I can think is that it would result in SummerSlam having a tons a ton of schmas bullshit finishes which would make me angry and then say to me well obviously they're doing that and that would be my anticipation going into the show because they're going to be doing payback the next week so now i'm thinking like oh maybe summerslam's going to suck because they're just going to pay off all the feuds one week later so do you see any benefit in doing this 
Uh, I, I don't know, because you're going to have a raw in between. Like, it's not like. And it's like, not for, yeah. And it, like first I had thought, oh, hey, they liked Great American Bash going back to back weeks or, or, or Fighter Fest doing that with AEW. Maybe they want to do a two week pay-per-view. But you can't really do that with the daily with the weekly shows uh, happening as well. So I I, I don't know. I, I have to imagine, unless it's just SummerSlam rematches because it is payback, then sure. But it's going to really take away from any interest in SummerSlam more, more than anything. Like, it's not like there's no way payback is going to build upon SummerSlam. I think it's only going to drag it down. That's what I'm thinking. Now, you have to remember the way payback was introduced and used in WWE was along with Backlash. So, I mean, it was introduced as its own show, but eventually for multiple years, it was used alongside Backlash. We called it Pay Backlash on my old podcast, but you would have WrestleMania and then the following, you know, six weeks, you would have a Raw pay-per-view and a SmackDown pay-per-view. I think Raw was Payback and SmackDown was Backlash. And it would tie up loose ends from some of the WrestleMania feuds that did not get completely settled. You would have matches, an example being, like AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura, right? So they would fight, Styles wins by low blow, so Nakamura wants another opportunity, so they have it at Backlash. That is what WWE would do. So that was useful. Now, similarly, we're coming out of SummerSlam, it would make sense potentially where the October, not not October, I'm sorry, the September pay-per-view perhaps, being Backlash would make sense, I guess, in that same vein. But to do it one week later does not make any sense. And if you want to do a payback show, and you're trying to increase ratings on Raw and and maybe SmackDown, then why don't you make the week after SummerSlam or two weeks after SummerSlam payback week? And you have payback on Raw and payback on SmackDown and you and that's what you deliver. So you're giving a pay-per-view quote unquote quality show on regular TV the same way NXT did with Great American Bash. That's how I would do it. Just putting it on the WWE Network makes me think that SummerSlam is going to suck. It does. Yep, exactly. All right. Now, yeah, on I, I, don't, I don't really see it. Now, two notes on SummerSlam. One, uh, the tagline for SummerSlam, they announced that on Monday night. That is going to be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that, huh? All right. Actually, it wasn't a horror show, so I, I don't hate it. Uh, it's called You'll Never See It Coming. You know what? I, there's nothing to get upset or happy about. It's fine, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. SummerSlam, you'll never see it coming. Uh, there's also talks, uh, reports, that WWE is considering holding SummerSlam outside of Florida with a leading contender possibly being Atlantic City, New Jersey. I, I at least understand the concept here. The idea to, you know, maybe hold it on the boardwalk or somewhere with a really cool outdoor look to it. That to me makes a ton of sense. But there's travel restrictions and mandatory quarantines for people going into the New York, New Jersey area. So I don't totally understand how, from a logistical standpoint, WWE could put SummerSlam in another venue in another state and have it be successful. I would almost think maybe they just try to do it on a beach in Florida. They're in Florida. There are so many beaches and there's so many venues in and around beaches that could be expanded upon to make this work. I think that is a possible move. I don't see them going out of state, but that's a report that they are trying to do that. Yeah, if, if you're not going to have fans, I don't understand the point of traveling. I do understand the idea of trying a different location. Uh, 
I, surely there's somewhere in Florida you can do something different. I I, I don't understand this at all. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, me neither. So we'll we'll see what happens there. This is just a rumor at this time or a report. We will see if it actually transpires. But let's talk about everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown over the last week because we've spent what the first hour of this show not really even talking about wrestling. I mean, we did a little bit with the Fiend, but basically everything else that's happened has been you know larger WWE uh, you know issues with the organization, with its storytelling and with its booking. But that does not mean that everything that happened Monday and Friday night was bad because not all of it was. Let's start with Raw a little bit, a couple segments here. They had a really long, long storyline recap of Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio, the eye for an eye match. That all felt overdone, almost like they needed to fill some time. So they, they yeah, ran actually, that. I, I, I had to rewind... Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I had to rewind in the middle of the show as that was going on to be like, wait, did I accidentally pull up an old episode on the DVR or or what is going on? There was an there was an Oscar recap package as well that was like several minutes long and that I literally did not realize I was still watching the same show. Very strange. It felt like they were just filling time. Yeah, it, it was really, really long and so much happened on the show that it was weird that they needed to do that. But okay, they had a really that really long segment. You had Dominic Mysterio backstage earlier in the show. He cut a fine promo. The booking, I think, makes a little bit of sense. I can't necessarily say I'm excited for Dominic to get such a big shot, but there's no question that he has entertained me in the ring, and he seems to be very capable and ready for this opportunity, even if from a logistical standpoint, it doesn't make sense, as I criticized earlier. I like that they addressed that, with Seth Rollins and Murphy a bit later saying, basically, who the hell is this guy to challenge me to a match at SummerSlam? Um, then Rollins, you have him go outside the ring, call out Tom Phillips, and he starts kind of berating him. And you're like, okay, they are actually trying to do something here. This is getting interesting. Thinking maybe this is when the faction would come out, something would happen. You have Samoa Joe stand up for Tom Phillips, get in their faces, and business is freaking picking up and then what? And then all of a sudden, as Samoa Joe's taking off his jacket, he's standing at the steps. Oh my God, Samoa Joe's going to get back in action. Zero. They go to commercial. And then they come back from commercial and all that excitement that Samoa Joe just garnered by getting out of his chair. It's all just a distraction for Dominic to come in out of the crowd and beat the ever-loving shit out of a four-time WWE champion or four-time world champion, I should say and former cruiserweight champion in Murphy with the kendo stick. And he kicked their asses. I mean, kendo stick shots, 619 on Rollins. The top rope, you know, splashed to the outside on both of them. Guy looked like a million bucks. So credit all the way to Dominic. Rollins accepts the challenge. Now we have this match at SummerSlam. Again, didn't hate this, but you cannot tease me with Samoa Joe getting in action and expect me to give something an A when all I want out of the world right now is Samoa to Joe to get back in action. It, it's it's the trust thing I just mentioned. They, they tease something big and they give you something less and it, 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 it and it ruins the emotion that they wanted to make you feel coming out of that. Like the, the feeling coming out of that wasn't, oh, can't wait to see Dominic. It was, oh, we could have had this instead. And right. that's a just a fundamental storytelling problem. And I had a problem with them going to commercial as I have a big problem with them going to commercial whenever action is about to happen. It so makes 
no sense. That doesn't happen in sports. Like, you don't have a, oh, someone's got a breakaway in hockey, and then you cut to commercial, and you got to wait to come back to see what happens. Like, that's, you know, if you're presenting yourself as a sport, this isn't, it's not like a drama TV show necessarily where it's, oh, there's a reveal and we're going to come back and it's like time stopped. We A lot of times the show is live. We know time is still going on. So that's just a, a, another execution, basic WWE style problem that they have had for years because they continue to do the same thing. So that was you just kind of came out of that a little frustrated. Absolutely. Now, uh, I think the best moment of the entire show was Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. Going face to face without actually being face to face, nothing face to face, as a wise man once said. Uh, the crowd was not overly loud Monday night, and it worked best actually during this segment because McIntyre's words about Orton's advantages and his own disadvantages in their lives and careers made sense. It all really hit home. The verbal dialogue between the two felt legitimate and real. Orton challenging McIntyre to come up with an original criticism of him. And then McIntyre basically going into shoot mode. He even said that. He, you want me to shoot on you? Okay, fine, I will. Saying Orton has never helped young talent, was a selfish prick, and McIntyre had a ton of receipts to cash in at SummerSlam. I don't mind them breaking the fourth wall in that regard when it's not corny. And this was not corny. Drew McIntyre, once again, great promo. Randy Orton, really solid promo. We'll talk about Ric Flair a little bit later. That segment to me was a home run. It was a two-run shot to write, and it made me even more interested in this match and what the outcome is eventually going to be than I already was. It, it felt like Drew McIntyre, the character, moved up a level last night, going head-to-head with Randy Orton. Randy Orton's one of those guys you, 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 just, you compare somebody to. Are they on the Randy Orton level? And Drew McIntyre came out looking like he's on the Randy Orton level in terms of uh, just uh, ability and character. Trump, you know, Randy says the stuff about, oh, you can say the same things everybody said about me, yada, yada, yada. And Drew takes it another direction with all that shoot type stuff, like you said. Uh, Drew has been absolutely killing it since he's been champion. We keep saying this. The guy deserves a crowd because they are going to be absolutely all into him and continue to take him up. But this moved him up another level. It's not Bobby Lashley and MVP. It's not Dolph Ziggler. He's now feuding with a main event Hall of Fame type guy and their first head to head. He more than held his own. And I think that was a huge step forward for Drew McIntyre. It actually makes me rethink the booking that you know we've talked about, which is Orton winning the title. It really kind of makes me rethink it and say, you know what? If they really want to put Drew over in a major way, he needs to beat Randy Orton. The problem is if he does, there's really no one left on the show for him to feud with. Right. Is that the that, that's that, that that's, you know, that's why I wasn't sure if they'd go to Orton right away because SummerSlam is just any other pay-per-view right now if we're being serious because there's no fans. So right. I was wondering if they would go back to the Lashley thing because everybody really liked their first feud. Hold off on Orton until you could get a crowd. They're doing it now. And but but again, I, I do think it took Drew up another level. So yeah. maybe maybe it's good. I guess we'll, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. It did. And by, uh, th- that's a really good point you made, though. SummerSlam just feels like another pay-per-view. It does not feel special at all. That doesn't mean it won't be good, but it doesn't feel like it's any different than Extreme Rules or any of the other shows that we've had to this point. It just feels like, oh, this is the August pay-per-view as opposed to, wow, they're really build, building huge 
awesome storylines for SummerSlam, which is what SummerSlam historically and deserves. And it's how WWE promotes it. The biggest show of the summer, the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, WrestleMania in the summer. It doesn't feel like that right now. By the way, you notice now that we're being positive about WWE, the puppies stopped. So they were really just like our audience. They were <laughs> they were like cheering us on, crapping all over Raw Underground and the faction. But now that we're happy, they're content and nice and, and being quiet as well. So I think that's a nice, funny development. Um, yes. Shayna, we saw we saw Shayna Baszler challenge Sasha Banks. So Bailey and Banks are backstage setting up a video on the air. And what they said was fine to preview it. The rest of it was weird. Asuka just pops up on the video in a with a green background out of nowhere to interrupt the video. Like she was able to post-production cut a clip and insert it in their video. That was insanely strange. And then Shayna Baszler pops up out of nowhere and just basically says she's waiting in line when she's never waited in line because she immediately got pushed and had a match at WrestleMania, right? As soon as she debuted on the main roster. And then Sucker Punches Banks. It was an odd segment. The match after it was even more odd. Sasha Banks versus Shayna Baszler just ended. Why Baszler got to fight the champion impromptu was mind-boggling and lazy to me. They ended up having a really good battle, a lot of submission counters. And I was saying to myself, man, this is like the best Shayna Baszler match I've seen in a long time. Credit to Sasha Banks for literally being at the top of her game all time in her, in her own career. But then just as the match is kind of moving along and like we're, we're seeing it, it's pretty entertaining. Oscar runs down out of nowhere. In kayfabe, that makes sense. She's angry. And attacks Bailey. And then they ring the bell, even though Asuka didn't interfere with the competitors and did not force a disqualification or a no contest. Zero point zero. That is just awful booking. And it who, makes who, fans feel stupid for watching it. It is yep. inexcusable. Who is booking these women's finishes? This comes a, a week after we got we, we get Asuka getting a, a count out because she just decides to leave the ring. We've got Bailey putting on the referee shirt, counting the pin. A few weeks prior, we had Asuka just leaving a distraction with Nia Jackson losing a match. Who is booking these women's finishes? Like these make no sense. It only makes it only tells you that you wasted your time by getting uh, by, by, by paying attention. And of all the bad finishes. This might be the worst one. This is worse than Bailey putting on the referee shirt and counting. Why is the referee ending the match because of outside fighting that doesn't involve anybody in the match? And this is not the first time this has happened, by the way. This is it's not consistent, but WWE's done this like in 2020, probably at least two other times. Where yeah, it's there, just, was a, there, was, there was one with Seth. There was a Seth match after that was the, different. The night. That was different. But it because was cinema, it was. He, but he was involved in the tag match. He was a competitor in the match. And there's something where the, in rules, we thought it was wrong, but in actual kayfabe rules, it ended up making sense. But I know what you're saying. It's, it's unnecessary. There have been a lot of weird, nonsensical finishes yeah. that just like, again, it's the very basic fundamentals of booking and storytelling. And SmackDown has had its problems, but like, they're giving you AJ Styles beats Matt Riddle and like we move forward. Like you can, I just, I do not understand this at all. Just give us clean finishes. Like Sasha Banks just became champion and you can't look, she's not going to, she, she's not going to submit Shayna Baszler and probably she shouldn't have been fighting Shayna Baszler because she's so strong. You don't want Baszler to look weak, but Oscar running down and like throwing Bailey into the apron 
and Baszler maybe being on the rope somehow and getting knocked backwards and then Banks rolling her up for the one, two, three, that ends the match. And it's plausible, right? Like, like you can have a finish like that where Banks beats Baszler but doesn't beat her. You know, doesn't beat her decisively. I wouldn't like that, but I would not like it a lot less than I hated this. Right, right. That that's that's still a, a D finish, but this is an F minus. This is as yeah. bad as a finish gets. Now, Asuka demanding a rematch at SummerSlam, that made complete storyline sense. That's plausible because she got screwed twice. Once where the match ended in a no contest, it should have been a disqualification, and another time where she was champion but lost her champion's advantage. So her wanting a rematch is plausible, but we already, we already talked about the issues, right? We talked about it last week. Issue one is Sasha Banks loses the title back to Asuka, in which it's another situation where Banks holds the title for 27 days or less and has zero title defenses. The other issue is they would have taken the title off Asuka and made her look weak unnecessarily when she could have been a strong champion with a longer title reign. So whatever, they're giving us the rematch, plausible. Let's see what happens. Really, the only good outcome is Banks defending the title. And I don't think that that's going to happen. So we'll see. But I, I liked that Shayna Baszler in this situation, I'll let you talk in a second. I liked that Shayna Baszler didn't demand to be in a triple threat match, didn't demand no. an immediate opportunity. She said, hey, Asuka, you deserve this chance because Baszler's a face, don't forget. Asuka, you deserve this chance. When you get the title, I'm the first challenger for you. I'm going to take that title off you. Don't forget, these are the two longest reigning NXT women's champions of all time. So that naturally, that's a really good storyline. So... I didn't have any issue with that, but I did. This was a mess. It was just a mess. Why is Shayna Baszler rooting for Asuka? Asuka just cost her a match. It was a non-title match. It was meaningless. I, it, yeah, but she beats the women's champion. She has a case that she gets a title match, essentially. It was essentially a number one contender match if she wins, because that's how this always works in WWE. You pin the champ, you get a title shot. I know Shayna's a face. Why is she not furious at Asuka? I would have thought it would have made perfect sense for her to say it should be a triple threat. I was going to beat Sasha, whatever, and go from there. I was infuriated when I saw really? Shayna Baszler saying that was fine. I was like, what? she just, yeah, like, it's, uh, like I said, it's pretty simple. She just cost you the match and a possible title shot. So now you're going to root for her. And after Shayna was, for a large part, having her way with Sasha for a lot of that match, she should also want Sasha to win because she thinks Sasha might be easier to defeat than Asuka. Like, it just, none of it made sense. I I, I, I thought it made Shayna look, 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 I don't want to say dumb or weak, but just naive. I don't know. And not sure how I feel about face Shayna in general, but just did not like that at all. That's a fair counterpoint. I think the reason I liked it is because that's the typical trope. The WWE trope is that it is. someone's in a match with a champion, it gets interrupted, you're expecting a singles match at a pay-per-view, it becomes a triple threat because the other person forces their way in there. And, and now look, there's there's a chance we now have this Asuka versus Bayley match next week. Who the hell knows? Baszler could get involved and maybe they do make it a triple threat. You know, it's already taped, so it's already happened. We don't exactly know what they're going to do. But I liked it because it set up a future challenger, which is not something WWE does frequently. It told us... This is one storyline. And if Asuka wins the title, this is your next storyline. And it also didn't hotshot Shayna Baszler getting a title match at SummerSlam after she got hotshotted into a title match at WrestleMania that she lost. And she would have lost sure. this one too. So that would have been sure. twice in a row that she lost matches at major pay-per-views. A triple threat would have been easier to stomach. So yeah. because of all that, it was a little bit different and unique. Maybe I gave them a pass. 
But yes, you're right. It does make her look a little bit naive where she was in a match with the champion, didn't get to complete it, and she's okay waiting her turn. That's the opposite of what she just said in the prior segment where she said, I'm sick of waiting in line, even though she didn't wait in line. Now she's okay with waiting in line. Right. So it, it was had, contradictory. If, yeah, if she had said, I'm pissed at you, I want you to win because I don't want to kick your butt and take the title from you because of what you did tonight. Sure. I just face like friendly Shayna. It's just I don't know if it's going to work considering her character is that she's a, a shoot fighter, you know, who could be who could beat anybody up and was toying with Sasha at times. I, I don't think it really just works with her character in general. Next up, the United States Championship, which opened Raw. I guess we do have a lot of Raw at the start here. We will be talking plenty of SmackDown coming up soon. Apollo Crews basically defended his title against MVP, who had his own version of the United States Championship and was calling himself the champion. I really enjoyed MVP's promo ahead of the match. And while the in-ring action between the two was really nothing notable, it was great to see Cruz get the clean win with that toss powerbomb. I wish they gave it a name. Finishers need names. Stables need names, people. It's really not that hard. I also liked that he quickly escaped Bobby Lashley's attempted full Nelson. I thought that was going to result in Cruz and Lashley now starting a feud with Lashley probably beating Cruz for the title at SummerSlam, and I would have been totally fine with that. But in the moment, Cruz looked really smart. And then after the match, he gave a completely reasonable explanation backstage for changing which actual physical belt he would now be carrying, saying that he was going to put the original United States Championship in his kid's room. MVP spent all this money on a new one. He admitted it looked good. And this is now the title I'm going to use. So to that point, Chris, I was pleased that we had the match. It was a clean finish. They gave us a good reasoning, good storyline explanation for using the new title. I'm happy so far, right? Yeah, obviously we, we everybody wanted it to happen to Extreme Rules. Couldn't happen for whatever reason they didn't officially say. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was what it finally needed to be. Right, so we got that match. You know, MVP's in his mid-40s at this point. He doesn't really need to be wrestling. He's doing a great job on the mic. That's the role that we want him in. And everyone's, at least I'm happy with the way this happened. Then MVP grabs a mic post-match, cuts a promo, by the way, that was also pretty good. But he ends it by challenging Apollo Crews to a rematch at SummerSlam, which is three weeks away. Number one, this match settled the feud. MVP beat Crews and claimed to be United States champion. Then he waited for him at Extreme Rules. Crews didn't show up because he wasn't cleared. So he continued to claim to be United States champion, introduced the new belt in between, etc. They have a match. Cruz beats him clean. The feud's over. He, and now he's using the new title. The feud's over. SummerSlam is still three weeks away. Why have a rematch on a pay-per-view when you had a decisive finish on television? There's no one else who can challenge for the United States championship right now. I don't need the match. I don't need three weeks more of build for the match. I just don't need it to continue. I have no idea why they did not just put Lashley in this position, have MVP say, look, hey, little old in the tooth here. I'm still a badass, whatever. You may have beaten me, but you are not getting over on the CEO of the Hurt Business, Bobby Lashley. Why the hell would you not just do that? Book the match for SummerSlam, change the title to the heel. Yeah, I have no idea. I thought that was weird as well. If they maybe they had originally planned it because it was going to go from Extreme Rules to SummerSlam, whatever. But yeah, Lashley continues to kind of just sit in the background of all of this after what we all thought was a really good feud with Drew McIntyre. And now he's 
been sitting behind MVP for a few months now, and I guess it's going to continue. It was weird. I think the way you laid it out would have made perfect sense. And by the way, it's so weird that they call Lashley the CEO of the Hurt Business. I get it because they're trying to say that he's the most prominent member. But MVP is the leader. So MVP should be the CEO and Lashley should be like, I don't even know. Maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe MVP is the chairman. I don't maybe, know. I think, or the I think owner? we need a I think we need a breakdown of the of the the job titles. Here. Yeah, so that so that's strange. And then they have the 24-7 championship triple threat. Akira Sazawa wins the title by pinning our truth after the hurt business takes out all the ninjas and gets distracted, and the champion forgets that he's in the match. They just don't have a clue how to book the 24-7 title. I have no idea. Why they, they're they booking the show. They're pacing it. They're figuring out who's going what, where and doing what. And they know that Raw Underground's happening. And they know Shelton Benjamin and the Hurt Business is going to be there at the end of the show. And they already had MVP purchase a new United States championship. So why the hell would you not have Shelton go into Raw Underground as the 24-7 champion, say to MVP, hey, we're going to rebrand and rename this title, come out with the Raw Underground title, and have Shelton be the first champion because he's the last 24-7 champion and have him, you know, defend it against a ton of people for multiple weeks and then have, you know, some badasses start beating him. And now you have the underground title. Eric can have it. Dolph can have it. Baba Tunde or Daba Kato, whatever his name is now. Why would you not do that in this situation? Instead, they changed the title and now Akira Tozawa is champion. It continues to be a joke. And there's only two people really, Akira Tozawa and R-Truth, who are involved in the feud, just like it was only R-Truth and Drake Maverick for a while just like it was only R-Truth and whoever else previously. Yeah, when Shelton Benjamin got it, I we really liked that whole setup with the Hurt Business, two titles or one and a half, however you kind of look at it. I, I get the idea of, okay, they lost all their titles. They want to find something else to, to kind of do with their time, so they decide to go to Underground and take that over. It would have made sense that Shelton Benjamin takes the 24-7 title to Underground and tries to make it an Underground title. I think I would have liked that more. I I, I did get what they were going for and that, you know, they're all they're, they're upset they all lost. They go find something else to do. But it does, again, highlight the problems with the 24-7 title and that they have no idea what they want to do with it. It's always just a couple of people. And yeah, uh, just again, with a lot of things, a missed opportunity, I think, to do something better. I don't know if you were a long-term listener to the prior podcast I was on, but I'll make this very short and sweet. I invented the 24-7 title over a year before it debuted on television. Like I, I to, gave, to be, to, I mean, I, I'll give you credit for that, but I'll say a lot of people wanted a hardcore type title for years and years and years. But, but yes. <laughs> no, no, but I literally called it the 24-7 title. And okay. I explained how, how WWE could actually book it. Like, they could do surprise segments on social media. They could yep. alert people on their phones. Oh my God, R-Truth just got attacked. Here's a match that's happening. And I and the, the key to it, the whole thing, was that it needed to be real, that you need to actually have matches or extended moments. They just, it's a roll-up championship. And and yeah, I know, I know that they've scheduled in-ring matches a couple of weeks in a row, and they did that with the hardcore title too. Occasionally, in addition to... to it being won and lost backstage, they would actually have matches for it. But it's just, it, it's really much more fun when it's not in the ring. And it's way better when someone actually gets hit or a couple moves happen to them or they get trapped or hit or, you know, something goes down where it's chaotic in a way. Having a match in the ring and the ninjas back, which they haven't even paid off the ninjas, nor does it make any sense. 
And they took in the only thing, the big ninja, the only thing that was interesting, they took away and now he's the bodyguard for Raw Underground. It, it's just, it's such a disappointment to see something that I thought had huge potential for WWE, legitimately. And for it to be this bad, it really hurts me every single time I see it. Okay. Yeah. Moving. There, 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 well, real, real quick. There, there's that, there's that indie internet wrestling belt. I don't remember what it's called. The ultra heavyweight or something, but like, you know, a cat has won it. They've done all sorts of crazy <laughs> things. I think a chair or a ladder won at one time, right? You know, pro wrestling writers have won it. You know, uh, Joy, Joy Ryan was involved in a bunch of different ways. When, when, when the 24 seven tele first came out, that's what I thought they were going to do. I thought, Oh, they see this thing that's really popular online. They're going to kind of create their own thing and, and do that. And they just haven't done that. And what you laid out and what you wanted was exactly what that would have been. And it's frustrating that they haven't done it. The 24 seven title had every chance to succeed initially at every chance to be rebuilt and fixed when they introduced Riddick Moss, when they now gave it to Shelton Benjamin. They, they, when Lashley beat the shit out of our truth a couple of weeks in a row and he could have won it and no one would have been able to take it from him, presumably for a long time. They have, they've had so many different opportunities to book this properly and they yep. absolutely refuse to treat it with any legitimacy. And it's their own fault that it's a joke. It could have been, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best part of the show, but it could have been something where like, you're, you're like, oh, oh man, 24 seven. I'm really curious what they're going to do this week. And now it's like, I hate that it's on my television and it legitimately hurts me that that's the case. Okay. Smackdown, plenty of stuff happened there as well. We're, there's still a couple of raw things to mix in, but uh, Smackdown, we had the Intercontinental Championship. AJ Styles defeats Grand Metalik. 20 minute match opens the show. Good call. Metalik got a lot of screen time, but this was not the match it could have been, obviously. Metalik is incredibly talented, but they did a good job in this. And this is why I was okay with it not being a teardown match. The whole goal was for Styles to look dominant, considering he's an established main eventer and Metalik's a first-time challenger for a singles title. I also liked the submission finish, which is rare for Styles. He's only done it probably two handfuls of times in the last three years or so. Didn't necessarily need to prevent Metalik from meeting a pin, but they worked the knee all match, so it was storytelling. They paid it off with a clean, decisive finish, and AJ Styles looked strong coming out of it. So I thought this ended up being a really nice piece of booking. Yep, exactly what it needed to be. Fun match, you know, didn't, did what it was supposed to do, and th that's exactly what we got a lot of, of on SmackDown. We did, yes. Uh, Baron Corbin beats Drew Gulak. It was nothing of a match. I liked the fake-out distraction finish and the post-match attack by Matt Riddle. A lot of people were saying that Riddle was looking like a heel attacking someone post-match. No, this is a guy who's been tormenting him as a ransom out on his head. I'm totally fine with Matt Riddle taking yeah. advantage of someone at the finish of a match. But I was pretty floored and surprised where you have Riddle attacking Corbin, and then they basically turn Chad Gable heel as he's now going after the King's Ransom. He grabs Riddle around the waist, hits that beautiful German release suplex on him. I mean, we know Gable's awesome. We talk about it all the time but I was just kind of surprised to see it here. And you saw the backstage segment with Gable. It felt really natural to me. Like I appreciate Gable's been getting a little bit more screen time. They haven't been leaning on the short gimmick too much. It was kind of briefly mentioned by Corbin, but brushed away because he was trying to get on his good side. And now, I mean, it's not booked yet, but I have to assume we're going to get a Chad Gable, Matt Riddle television match, which is going to be awesome. So look, if this can kind of get to them leaning away from the shorty G moniker, and making Gable legitimate again, then it's going to be a home run. Even if it's only a two or three week storyline with Gable looking normal and strong and like a legitimate wrestler again, that's a victory. But they do long term, Chris, they have to figure out something to do with Chad Gable because he's too talented to not be used in WWE. 
Yep. Again, they tease something. They tease some possible tension. Later in the show, they pay it off and it made perfect sense. I said last week, I love the King's Ransom idea. Like it's been a year of Corbin being the king and it's mostly been pretty stupid. But the idea of putting a bounty on another wrestler to protect yourself, like it's it, it's a great just pro wrestling thing. It's you know, you think back to the APA and buying security so you don't get beat up or something like that. Like this is a kind of similar thing. And I think it's a great idea. And I'm excited if we get Chad Gable Riddle are going to tear that absolute house down uh, because they're, they're both incredible guys. And anytime I'm seeing more Chad Gable on my screen and he's not really being called Shorty G, it's a, it's a positive. By the way, they should, when considering they had like Farouk backstage, Ron Simmons, they should have had him talking to the Viking Raiders and they should have had Bradshaw there. And they should turn the Viking Raiders into the VPA, the Viking Protection Agency, and just have them do that exact same gimmick. I mean, it, it, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it VPA. I mean, try to make do something different. But the uh, general idea, like, yeah, th- these are easy backstage things you can do to to fit in the pro wrestling world. And yeah, Ron Simmons being back there the last few weeks uh, giving advice. I love it. It would have been cool if they did something like that. Uh, staying with Baron Corbin, we had the confrontation with Jeff Hardy before the match. I thought that was also solid. It was nice that they paid off the actual end of the Sheamus feud with Hardy. Hardy got an ovation yes. from his peers backstage for overcoming not just the obstacle of the match, but that he's com- confident in his sobriety. He was able to express that. Look, I know some people hated the angle, man. I liked this Jeff Hardy angle. And ultimately, people were saying, hey, they had Sheamus beat him, so... It made the alcoholic look bad that he can't even win. We always knew there was going to be a happy ending. They gave us a happy ending, not just at Extreme, well, not Extreme Rules, at, on SmackDown last week in the bar fight when they aired it. But then they followed it up this week with, a, with continuous positive momentum from Jeff Hardy. And I think a lot of people don't realize the WWE also aired, I don't know which show it was, a Chronicle or a 24 or whatever, on Jeff Hardy. And it, he speaks very honestly about his issues with drugs and alcohol. So this storyline was coinciding with that documentary that they released on WWE Network, which provides even greater context for the storyline we saw on television. I was happy with this. I think they're doing a really good job with Jeff Hardy. I know there's a couple people at Tweaks. That's fine. I, I respect that is what I'm trying to say. But for me, it completely works. SmackDown had a few instances where they moved on from a feud in a great way by acknowledging it and not just pretending, boom, something happened, we're on to something else. They made it feel like the story flows, and it wasn't just Jeff Hardy saying. Sheamus cut a promo later on, and he yep. said, basically saying, I don't, eh, I lost, whatever, doesn't matter. I know he's going to fall off the wagon again later anyway. I got bigger things to deal with, and that's the rest of the SmackDown roster. Boom, boom, boom. Like, just the, it's such a little thing that just makes all of this feel more real and connected and just... I I really appreciated that, that they acknowledged that I put the time in to watch this and now we're going to take it in another direction, but they acknowledged that they knew we were paying attention. And then the Alexa Bliss thing, which we already talked about, that was another way to slide her into a new, new type of story very seamlessly. And it doesn't feel like we're going boom, boom to something else. Just, just little things there on SmackDown that were really well done. Exactly. With Seamus, they basically said, look, He's a loser. He's going to admit it. And he's also going to move on because there's nothing else for him to do here. And tying up those loose ends, putting knots on things like that as a viewer is appreciated. Otherwise, the other option is you have Seamus disappear for three weeks. 
And then he just comes back and suddenly yep. he's in a tag team or suddenly he attacks someone else and starts a feud. No, they, they basically just had him come in and say, hey, look, I'm done, but it doesn't matter. Jeff, Jeff's a piece of shit anyway. You think he's going to fall that, back off the wagon and I'll be right in the end. Okay. That's how you, that's how you protect a, lo- a loser in a feud. That's yeah. how you, that's how you make them, you make them come out of it looking okay. And by, and by the way, did you see what he was wearing? Uh, I don't remember. He was wearing the same gear from the, the bar fight, the white shirt and the suspenders and the hat. He was still in the, basically in the gear. So he was, remember I said when we were watching the bar fight, I'm like, I hope he keeps that aesthetic. Because oh, yeah, it looks yeah. way better than the other stuff yes. he was doing. It's more yes. realistic for him. So I love the way that they kept him looking that way. But yeah. I am curious what they do with Sheamus and an idea that they may do with Sheamus may have to do with Big E. Big E defeated The Miz in a singles match. Since they're turning Big E into a single star, I would have preferred someone who could have given him a better match than The Miz did. This was just immensely boring, this match to me. To be fair, Miz and Kayfabe is a former WWE champion. He's won like 18 titles overall. So I get why Big E specifically beating The Miz is a big deal. But for the first singles match, I just kind of wish it was a little bit more exciting. Uh, maybe Big E versus Morrison in the first match save Miz for the second match. But Big E got to kick out of the skull-crushing finale. He escaped the figure four. And he picked up basically a win with a submission, the stretch muffler behind his neck. I was hoping he would go old school and pull down the straps of his gear, hit the big ending and get really aggressive. But nevertheless, Biggie got over strong here. And to me, it feels like they're just straight up building him for an intercontinental title match with AJ Styles at SummerSlam. Yeah, probably. You know, I, I thought it was a good way to get uh, Biggie over and kick out Skull Crushing Finale. Like you said, he he got past the Morrison flip kick, which, by the way, I, I had a problem with that was that Morrison does that flip off the stairs, crazy parkour kick. And Cole reacts by calling it a kick to the chest. <laughs> right. Like, I know. man, that was crazy what we just saw. And he's just like, oh, he got kicked to the chest. And and that th- that that in that thing right there, that was something I talked about, I think, last week or whatever, that I, I'd love to see a singles run from Morrison because he can do stuff like that. You know, maybe Biggie Morrison next. We'll see what happens. I don't know. But uh that also stuck out when that happened. But you know, on on we go forward with with Biggie, I guess. I do have to imagine we get Biggie Morrison next week and then they progressively get him to styles. But there's only three weeks left until SummerSlam. And, you know, right. And the Intercontinental title, best of my knowledge, has not been on the last two pay-per-views. It's been defended on the SmackDown prior to those shows as a big featured match. So that's a possibility as well. That's what ends up happening. Styles just got the title, but Biggie does seem like they're moving him in that mid-card direction, because obviously you can't put Big E, you can't get him involved with Strowman and Fiend right now. It's just too far out there. It wouldn't really make much sense. Another thing that I really liked on SmackDown, liked and didn't like, there were things I didn't like, but overall liked, Otis and Mandy Rose are back. Oh, and so is Sonya Deville, yet the Money in the Bank winner doesn't even have his briefcase with him. Do they just want us to forget that Otis won the Money in the Bank briefcase? They didn't mention it. They didn't make any big deal about it, that he hadn't been there. All of a sudden, Otis and Mandy are back. They're a couple, no briefcase in sight. That's what I hated. What I loved was Sonya Deville's attack on Mandy Rose, making her basically ugly by busting her up. Obviously, it'd be very difficult to make, you know, Mandy ugly just with some lipstick. That's the most action I've had all year. But besides that, uh, busting up her face, cutting her hair, also really liked that there was a natural transition into a tag team feud with heavy machinery, Miz and Morrison, now that I'm talking about 
Uh, Big E possibly facing Morrison. That's probably not going to happen. We're probably going to see this heavy machinery match with Miz and Morrison. That's surely coming up next week. I have to imagine though, Chris, this might lead to like a hair versus hair match between the women at SummerSlam. And I don't hate that if that's the booking. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do just in the real world complications of someone losing their hair, uh, especially, you know, the women who have to grow their hair, who often grow their hair very long. Um, it, it was a great, they, they've kept the Sonya Mandy stuff, I think, alive pretty well. It's been going on since obviously since, since WrestleMania. I think they've kept it fresh enough. I was also annoyed that Otis doesn't have the briefcase around. I, I Mr. Money in the Bank should always have that around at all times. Um, I told you putting it on him was worthless. Just remember I was right about that. I said there was a possibility for something and they have not done it in the month since. I didn't say it was definitely going to work. I said it could. And so far it has not. I will admit that. But it it is weird that it's been five months now and Otis is still just the same thing. Like, you know, they... I don't know what the plans here are now for them. It, they've got something going with Sony and Mandy, but as Otis now that the background in this, it's just uh, ready for ready for him and them to just kind of do something different. But I, I have really liked what Sonya has been doing for months now. Yeah, she is a burgeoning star. She will be the next probably woman to break out in WWE as a legitimate main eventer. And I'm excited to see that. They keep putting the eggs in her basket to give her that opportunity. She was a home run. Entire segment was a home run for Sonya Deville. No question. Moving back to Raw. Angel Garza defeats Angelo Dawkins. Andrade, I guess, defeats Montez Ford. Both matches had some good action. But the finish to both obviously involved Montez Ford fainting. Yet he was, as I mentioned earlier, despite fainting and being down on the ground for a couple minutes, somehow cleared to participate in the following match, his scheduled match, in kayfabe, Absolutely horrible kayfabe storytelling and writing. Giving a wrestler random medical problems has not historically been of any value. But obviously later in the show, they paid it off a little bit uh, with Bianca Belair coming out of the trainer's room and kind of suggesting that her husband had been poisoned. Look, I love Bianca Belair. Her taking off her earrings and going to fight Zelina, pretty awesome. Like Belair is just tip top for me in terms of women that have potential in WWE. But the idea of poisoning a wrestler and seeming like it's not their feud, meaning not Garza, not Andrade, not Zelina Vega. Of course it could be, but it seems like it may not be. They seem to be very adamant that it wasn't them. Um, Yeah, that's not good. People randomly poisoning, poisoning people on TV. I'm just not really going to get behind that. So... I, I, I know they wanted to reveal it a little bit later, but I had a problem with someone fainting twice, you know, and not getting a resolution on that for a while, given we're in a pandemic and, you know, just again, right. the real world stuff, it's hard to ignore. Didn't like that. Really didn't like Montez Ford is fainted in the, in the middle of the ring and they're checking on him and the cameras on him. And then they just kind of fade into Buddy Murphy watching Seth Rollins highlights on his phone. Again, if this was a sport, we're not cutting to some other thing going on. We want to stay like, with the action. You're yeah. staying with it. Don't. It was just like, oh, so this, is this not serious or is this serious? Because it wasn't serious enough that we're going to sit here and keep talking about it. So apparently it's not that big of a deal. And then 
I think they went to commercial after that and then finally came back to give us an update. Just, just again, just the execution of like how things actually happen in the real world was that whole thing was frustrating. He got cleared to wrestle. Apparently, like you said, yeah, it's just po- I, I, poison makes you faint. I don't even know how poison works. I guess I, I, I don't know. It was just an absolute mess. All they really had to, I mean, again, the poison stuff sucks. So I don't like the angle at all, but all they had to do was say the trainers are going to tend to Montez Ford. We're going to let them get do that in privacy. We'll be right back after this. Go to commercial, yeah. come back. They're at the trainer's room, blah, blah, blah. They cut to that to Rollins and Murphy looking at the video. Or or even they come back and it's Rollins and Murphy. Then they go to the training room. They could have done it in so many other ways. The pacing, booking, and storytelling of Raw was shit. Okay? It just is. And it's been specifically over the last three to four weeks. Really, I guess the last four weeks. It's just going downhill. Um, I didn't hate this part so much. The KO show with Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. A couple things I actually liked here, to my own surprise. First, Riot showed some decent acting chops. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised how well she delivered everything that she did. Second, the storyline was plausible and allowed for a legitimate reunion of the Riot Squad that made sense, where otherwise it would have just been an eye roll. She helps her once and Liv Morgan forgets everything and is okay. It actually sounded like two friends who had issues, one felt overlooked, the other one who's now trying to be a face legitimately apologizes to her, makes amends. I know you're not going to forgive me right away, but hopefully I'll earn your trust long-term. The Iconics came out. They were a bit rough with the slaps to Kevin Owens. That was kind of funny. And the challenge- Actually, just, Peyton, Royce, Peyton Royce was laughing after one of them. Had to like they, both were, they both were <laughs> yeah. laughing, yeah. Um, so the, the, the Iconics, I meant the promo part was rough, but the slaps to Owens were kind of cool. Owens kind of being like, hey, I can't do anything. You guys want to take care of this for me? That part of it, and I'll pause here before we talk about more, but- that part of it worked for me. And I was kind of like, you know what? This is like uh, some pretty good storytelling that they were able to write this feud. And by the way, it wasn't just one night. It's been multiple weeks where Ruby Riot's been, first was there with Liv, Liv shunned her. Then Liv wasn't around and Ruby was doing things without her. Kept saying, I miss Liv, I miss Liv. I really want to talk to her. She's not answering my calls. All of a sudden she shows up and we have resolution. So this was a month long storyline, not very complicated, but they gave it to us in a nice tight package and I have to give them credit for that. Yep. And, and you know, we, we've criticized the talk show stuff for a few weeks, but this is an example of how you do it properly. It's not, you just do an interview and it's just a different way for somebody to cut a promo. No, you brought two people in to have them talk. Kevin Owens was a great host. He talks like a normal person when he does these things. He yep. referenced Sarah Logan you know, going back to the idea of Taz insulting her intelligence, we're not going to pretend that, you know, uh, that that another person of a faction didn't exist. They reference Sarah Logan. He says she's doing something else with her life because I believe she's pregnant. Uh, she believes she's pregnant now. Pregnant and, and, re- and retired, I believe, from wrestling. Yeah. So so it was just it was just it felt they made it feel real. And that that ad that added everybody involved made that feel a, a bit real. And it was just a great execution all around. Agreed. Now, there is a tinge of disappointment in me that Liv Morgan's back with Ruby Riot when it looked like there were so many different opportunities to have her out on her own as a singles performer. But she's really young. So she has a long career in wrestling, long career in WWE, if she wants it. And she's still not, she's not green, but she's on the greener side of, you know, where Ruby Riot's a veteran, Liv Morgan's a little bit greener. So them working together, I think long term will do well for her. 
And my concerns, I think, will be calmed because I just kind of feel like they're going to be the tag team to take the titles ultimately off of Sasha Banks and Bailey. There's a number of teams that seem to be developing or in the works or, you know, given some opportunities, Lana and Natalia, they shared a couple of weeks. We haven't seen them in a while. Lana, obviously, I believe either had coronavirus or was at danger of it because I think her, her parents did and maybe even Rusev did. I, I'm not exactly sure there, but so she hasn't been back in a while. No matter what, this is a tag team they're clearly building, trying to make legitimate. And if they get a win, another win, let's say probably over the Iconics, suddenly they're a team that can challenge Sasha Banks and Bayley. And if they become women's tag team champions, in the end, that's a positive in the right direction for Liv Morgan. Yep, yep. And this is the most story the Riot squad has ever gotten. You know, Back when they were a yeah. team, they were just kind of an idea of a team that was not really much to them. So it's been good. I also loved the backstage segment. Loved with Ric Flair and Kevin Owens. Ooh, Flair yeah. telling Owens he's being too much of a guidance counselor, too much of a good guy, not looking out for number one. Owens saying that he's atoning for his past sins and making up for friendships he's lost along the way, and then setting up a match very calmly for next week with Randy Orton. I thought it's really good short-term storytelling. It should give us a great match next week. I've said it multiple times. If you're going to use Ric Flair, given everything that's going on, he wants to be used. So fine, you know, he he's earned the right to say that I'm get, I'm being tested. I feel confident in it. I want to be there. Um, his wife, by the way, I believe had coronavirus. And so he was quarantined for a couple of weeks and that's why he wasn't on TV. But I've said it a couple times on this show over the last few months. Ric Flair to me looks like he has turned a health corner in a major way. He is so much more coherent and... Um, intelligent in his promos than he was for many years. And he has been able to really, with Randy Orton previously and now with Kevin Owens, help tell and develop storylines. And I find immense value in him being there. That conversation with Kevin Owens, first of all, it probably popped Kevin Owens personally. Um, but yeah. from a storyline story perspective, it made sense that the dirtiest player in the game, a guy who always looked out for number one, was telling a guy in Kevin Owens who was a pretty dirty guy, who was someone who always looked out for number one. Hey, man, uh, you realize what you're doing to your life and career right now? I thought it was perfect. It was a really, really good segment. Rick is continues to absolutely kill it with these promos. And th this is what makes Rick. This is what made Rick Flair so good. It's not, oh, he's just out there wooing and to the crowd and doing that stuff. No, he's the dirtiest player in the game. There is a strategy to what he does. He is he is clearly executing that. He is playing it. He is speaking incredibly sharp and 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 and, and you know w with clear secret meanings behind things. Uh, this is the best Ric Flair we've had in a long, long time in this type of role, and I'm I'm loving it. And I just really, really hope that he continues to stay healthy. It's the best Ric Flair has been on television since he was with Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, at least. That's what I would say, at least. Uh, and I mean, he was pretty decent in that evolution segment with Triple H and Orton and Batista. But the, for at Raw, uh, at SmackDown 1000, I guess that was, he was decent there. But I'm saying for an extended period of time, this is the best flair we've seen since he was with Charlotte. Um, and they were both heels and, and he was helping her out. This is the best version of Ric Flair that we've seen. A couple more things before we get out of here. Naomi defeated Lacey Evans. It looks like they're doing a momentum story with Naomi. She got her ass kicked most of the match. They combined to botch a sliding what looked like Canadian destroyer, which we're now saying 
or she was saying it was a blockbuster. And then she weekly won with a backslide. The show was taped. They left the botch in. I don't get it. No one looked good here. Zero point zero. And they keep mentioning the karaoke thing. Like, just pretend it didn't happen. Let's move forward. They keep bringing it up. It is what it is. Nia Jax got suspended indefinitely. I was shocked that I didn't hate this. I found Nia's promo work to be acceptable as opposed to terrible, which is what it normally is. I was glad they ultimately didn't have an inter- intergender match. It seemed like they were going in that direction. That guy, Pat Buck, is an independent wrestler who signed with WWE as a producer, so he would have been capable of doing it. But the way she attacked him, first by trapping his arms with the jacket, made it plausible that he would not be able to fight back. It's just weird that, as I said earlier in the show, when I was listing the crap on Raw, they're indefinitely suspending someone who barely appears as it is and was already suspended for attacking an official last week. Shayna kind of did the same thing. Nothing happened to her. Nia is now suspended. Shayna is potentially going to be in a title feud in a month or two. This didn't get any heat on Nia Jax. Every single thing she does in the ring basically to me doesn't work. Again, this was decent. But look, I'm not saying that she should maybe not be in WWE, but she needs a lot more work if they're going to start putting her on TV consistently again. Uh, I mean, you said it at the beginning of the show in that um, she's been suspended and before and you just none of it really makes sense. I thought the execution from her part was pretty good. I'm still a little confused who this guy is. Uh, I just was kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing and it gave me a sense that they don't really know what they're doing right now for sure no no i agree they don't know what they're doing with her and honestly long term i just i don't see a situation where she gets back to a role of prominence which they clearly want her to be in and is accepted by fans in that role it's going to take a lot of work for them to do that with her no question about it as far as what's next in the world of professional wrestling nxt and aew dynamite both on wednesday night both with large announced cards, no special events or anything like that, but um, both really built up shows. You guys know from the Thursday show, I've criticized NXT all the time for not announcing their cards in advance. The Wednesday night audience wants to be given reasons to tune in. And I feel like they have done that this Wednesday. Imperium against Undisputed Era for the tag team title should be a great match. Rhea Ripley versus Dakota Kai, number one contendership for the women's title. Again, should be a great match. Fully expect Dakota Kai to win and also Imperium, by the way, earlier. North American Championship qualifying match. Damian Priest, Oni Lorcan, and Ridge Holland. This to me is the least exciting of, I believe we've had two so far. So of the three that we've seen to this point, Ridge Holland is basically making his debut really as this character, getting a big opportunity. Oni Lorcan's lost two matches in a row. Damian Priest has won recently, but hasn't been pushed overly hard. I have a feeling we're going to get Ridge Holland winning this somehow when really it probably should be Damian Priest in the match, and then Keith Lee, your NXT champion, against Cameron Grimes, I believe in a non-title match that Keith Lee should probably dominate and continue the carrying cross feud. So it's a strong card in terms of things were announced, not overly excited for everyone who has been announced. There's a lot of people in NXT that have been used in recent weeks, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano, that are not used in this circumstance. So I do find it interesting that... um, They're building up a pretty big show, but there's not a lot of huge names on that show. AEW is going in the opposite direction. 
Not a lot of big matches for the show, but they do have a lot of big names involved in the matches and in the advertising for the show. Santana and Ortiz. Uh, by the way, Chris, I'm going to run these down at the end as we normally do. You let me know what, yep. inter- what interests you. Uh, Santana and Ortiz are fighting best friends. Should be a very good tag team match. Cody and Matt Cardona, the former Zack Ryder, facing two members of the Dark Order. The Elite and FTR facing six other members of the Dark Order in a 12-man tag team match. You're going to have a debate between Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy with a special guest moderator who I know, but I'm not going to spoil for you or for our our listeners. Uh, And the AEW championship will be on the line. John Moxley defending against number five ranked Darby Allen. So out of that, what is standing out for you about Wednesday night show? Honestly, what I'm most looking forward to is this debate. I mean, the Jericho Orange Cassidy stuff, I think has been really fun. So I'm curious to see who this moderator is and curious to see how it goes. Um, the, tit- the the world title match, obviously, we all expect Moxley to win. It's interesting because they continue to kind of build up Darby Allen, but I don't know what his record is, but it doesn't feel like he has a lot of big wins. He just has a lot he of doesn't. big uh, matches that he's in. So it's kind of an interesting way that they're building him up. I think the 12-man tag is going to be a mess. I, that, that, that That's too many guys. They did a 10-man last week. It was a mess. I guess we'll see how the 12-man works. I'm a few weeks behind on BTE, but my brother was saying that the Dark Order has been really good on that. So I, I guess I have to check that out because still not super into them on, on Dynamite. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how Matt Cardona, former Zack Ryder, looks because he looked huge at his debut last week. And uh, it just it just physically he looked big. So I'm curious to see uh, how, how they look there. But uh, yeah, not a lot of big things I expect to happen, but I, I'm still curious to see how some of these things play out. Matt Cardona looked like Kramer when he was getting a tan on Seinfeld and like <laughs> he didn't he didn't realize what direction it was coming from. And then he turns around and gets tanned on the same side twice. So he ends up being almost black, basically. Um, he was so dark tan from from tanning. It was just hysterical. Uh, so Cardona, the funny thing is he is really big. People don't actually realize that. But when he stands next to AEW guys, mm-hmm. he's go- going to look huge. I'm not mm-hmm. particularly excited for Zack Ryder in AEW, nor him teaming with Cody in this circumstance. Uh, I at least like that they're doing something with them, I guess, together, because in real life, they're friends, and that's the reason he's in AEW, but I'm not excited about it, and I thought the segment last week, everyone who listened to Thursday's show criticized me for being way too critical of AEW. Folks, last week was the first time I legitimately thought it was a bad edition of AEW Dynamite. It was the first time since December 2019 that I thought Dynamite was actually bad. I have, I've said that about NXT. I've said it about Raw. I've said it about SmackDown. People are so sensitive to people criticizing AEW that I prefaced it as many times as I could in, in last week's show. I said so many times, look, this particular show I didn't like. I'm going to tell you the positives, but there were a lot of negatives on this particular show. And people are saying, you're too critical of AEW. No, I'm honest about what I like and what I don't like. Don't like there are weeks where AEW has the best show of the four. There's many weeks it has the best show between AEW and NXT. This past week, in my opinion, and you tell me, because you didn't watch NXT, but you watched Raw and SmackDown, was Dynamite good last week? 
I I thought it was fine. I mean, it, it, there were some weird things that happened, but I, I I I have yet to come out of a dynamite show and I feel like it was bad or or was a waste of time. It still feels new and fresh to me. It's got a setup with with the with the acoustics with with the with the with the commentators and the way it works that it it feels like it's a flowing show. It feels kind of like a sports event. Um, sometimes raw is good. Sometimes raw is bad. I think AEW is always, is, there's been some great ones and there's been some eh ones, but even, even the ant ones I, I thought have been, I thought have been pretty good. So I, I, I didn't um, hate on it like you did. I thought it was probably one of the lower ones. Yeah, though. I, I just thought they made so many booking errors and mistakes and there was lacking continuity and, and just, it, it just really hit me wrong last week. But I mean, now I'm back. It's a fresh week. I'm excited for the debate segment. I'm excited for Santana and Ortiz in a real tag team match where they're going to get featured is good. I, same with you. I like the six man tag they did three weeks ago, the eight man tag they did two weeks ago, but the 10 man tag last week was a slop fest. This one from the elite side has a lot better competitors. Obviously FTR is there as well, but 12 men, I just, I can't imagine it working out. I'm sure it will be booked better because the people involved will ensure that it's booked better, but I, I don't have high hopes for it. And John Moxley, Darby Allen, the main event is going to be awesome. But from a storyline perspective, it makes no sense whatsoever that Darby Allen got the opportunity. So I think AEW is clearly going to win the main event on Wednesday night. At, at the debate segment, they're probably going to win as well. But as far as that rest of that show goes, I can see NXT making some gains just as they did last week. It's going to be interesting to see what transpires between NXT and AEW. We will talk about that on Thursday's edition of this podcast. That is it for our Tuesday edition, where we break down everything that goes on in WWE. Please follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to follow me personally at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. And the most important thing, forget Twitter, head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and review let us know how much you loved the show, how much you love listening to the show and subscribing to the show, folks. You know what we do here. We break down WWE, we break down AEW, NXT, interviews with your favorite superstars and wrestlers, and instant analysis of pay-per-views. We will be back with that after SummerSlam coming up very soon. So for Chris Vanini, he's already said goodbye. Silver King saying goodbye. That means there's only one more person left to talk to you. Elizabeth, come on out here, man. Oh, we got something going that's oh, really big, mercy. don't we? Yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going, yeah. We into the Twilight Zone, yeah. And yeah. Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right now? No. Oh, and none of the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, get out of here. Oh, that's right a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. Tell I will. Stand. I thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>